it down now. Hold it uh, down. Uh, all right. Oh, listen to the booze. Hey, I said hold it down. They don't like him, Jess. What I'd like to have right now is for all you fat, out-of-shape, summer slam sweat hogs. <laughs> you like that? He's talking to you, Shabani. Keep the noise down while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real sexy man looks like. Hit the music. I tell you what, he better worry about a man getting prepared to come in the dressing room. There it is, Shabani, the winner of the Jesse the Body Award. I'm so proud of this guy. This is the False Finish Podcast. Pro wrestling talk that goes inside the industry. If you're a man, you don't cry about it. You take life, the ups and downs. If you're a real man, you never go down, you just stay up. That's why I'm the world champion. That's why this sport coat costs $800 and that costs $200. And I don't know what that costs, I'd be ashamed to wear it. That's why I'm wearing lizard shoes and a Rolex watch. And I'm going to live with these things out there a mile long with 25 women just dying for me to go. Woo! Because I'm the world champion, sucker. From the Top Rope Turnbuckle Studios, here's your hosts, former professional wrestler Preston James III and Brian Pensy. Ladies and gentlemen, I wish you a happy new year. And I welcome you back to the number one rated professional wrestling podcast in the United States of America, and last month at least, in the great country of Jamaica. I am your host, Ryan Pensy, alongside Preston James III and the South Florida Phenom, Scott Commodity. If you notice a little bit of background noise, my apologies. But to reinvigorate this podcast, I have traveled from the foot of the Rocky Mountains to the lobby bar of the Tampa Marriott Waterside Hotel and Marina to be joined by Preston James III and Sky Commodity. Preston James III, it's great to be back. I tell you what, Happy New Year to all our listeners, the thousands upon thousands of them out there. And the fact that we could be live from the Hotel Marriott lobby in Tampa, Florida, is, is exactly where every great story starts with. So listen, I'm sitting in the lobby of the Hotel Marriott, and that's exactly what we're going to continue with today on the False Finish Podcast. Scotty Commodity, how are you doing, brother? I'm good, guys. Happy New Year to both you guys. Uh, it's great to be back, starting off 2017 fresh. Well, let's jump right into it, fellas, because there's been a lot of, uh, of news that's been breaking. When you turn into the False Finish Podcast, you expect nothing more than, than talk about professional wrestling. You expect to go inside of the business dealings of professional wrestling. And when you start to talk about the 2017 WWE Hall of Fame class, it starts to pique my interest a little bit because you now start to talk about the guys that were the huge wrestlers back in the 80s and the 90s. And this name... I am shocked, guys. I am shocked when I read that this individual was not already in the Hall of Fame class. It was announced this week that joining Diamond Dallas Page in the enshrinement ceremony in Orlando, Florida, will be the one and only ravishing Rick Rude. Preston James III, I ask you this question. How is it possible that a Hall of Fame 
could have any type of credibility whatsoever and not have ravishing Rick Rudin as maybe even one of the first few inaugural members in the class. I tell you what, they got to they got to keep a lot of these huge names out. So they have these major draws year after year after year after year. I mean, you got to think about this. This this game is a work. It's business. So you can't put them all in in the first year, and you got to have some uh, some big time studs going in. And I, I'm happy to see Ravishing Rick Rude. He was an amazing talent, excellent talker, uh, just long time. I'm amazed that at the, the number of people that went to the same high school in Minnesota apparently Legion of Doom, Demolition, uh, Ravishing Rick Rude, Kurt Henning, all those guys went to the same high school up north there. And uh, I t- one of my first memories ever being a kid is his feud with the Ultimate Warrior. And the fact that he was able to carry the Ultimate Warrior around the country in wrestling matches for over a year is a true testament to what he uh, was able to do in his career. And it was unfortunate that he went out with that devastating back injury, uh, which I'm sure many folks have seen. If you haven't, YouTube it. You can see what he did in WCW there. Amazingly, Scott... And this is what I probably had just as much of trouble with as I did the fact that he's not already in the Hall of Fame. Ravishing Rick Rude was only in the WWF from 1987 to 1990 before he jumped over to WCW in 1991. But even in that short amount of time, I, I would argue that he may have been one of the greatest members of the Bobby Heenan family. Would you agree? Yeah, definitely uh, arguable. I mean, he's a guy who... Although he spent such a short time uh, with WWF back in the day, he just created so many iconic moments. Uh, I mean, did he have Jake the Snake Roberts' wife painted on his uh, or airbrushed on his tights? Cheryl, I mean, Cheryl Roberts. Yes. Sure. There you go, Cheryl Roberts on his tights. I mean, that's that's groundbreaking stuff. And I mean, he's got. I mean, his signature mustache, his signature zero body or zero percent body fat physique. Uh, with the hip gyrations, I mean, he just knew how to get himself over and get his opponent over as well. Was the feud with Jake the Snake Roberts, Preston James III, was that as good or better than the pose down with the Ultimate Warrior at the 1989 Royal Rumble? Oh, I tell you what, and the the angle he ran with Jake Roberts was excellent. I mean, it was well done. The airbrush tights, as Scott said, um, I mean, phenomenal, a classic. But his feud with the Ultimate Warrior and the way that he would stand in the middle of the ring with that porn star stash, that baby oiled body, and he would grab the mic and he would call all the women in the crowd, you fat pigs, is what he would say, was absolutely classic. And we cannot forget the fact that he, I believe, is the only professional wrestler in the history to be on Monday Night Raw and Monday Nitro both in the same exact night. Wow. Look it up, boys. Monday Night Wars. I remember, and this is before the network when you could just go search for these things on YouTube. I used to get the greatest kick out of watching him come to the ring with Heenan. And when he would, he would tell him, it was just very short, cut the music. What I'd like to have now is for all you <laughs> fat, ugly, New Jersey sweat hogs to shut your mouth while I take my robe off and show the ladies what a real man looks like. Hit the music. 
I mean, he was so good. Like, if you talk about a guy that you wanted to hate, there was nobody. There was nobody at the time that liked Ravishing Rick Rude. I don't even know if the brain liked him because he really didn't bring home championships like Bobby always wanted. Bobby would start a, any type of professional wrestling pay-per-view. He'd be back there with the entire Heenan family. They'd be talking about how they were going to win the tag team championships with the Brain Busters. They were going to win an Intercontinental Championship with Ravishing Rick Rude. They were going to try and compete for, for a WWF Heavyweight Championship. And at the end of the night, all you saw was Bobby with his shirt torn, his jacket off, his hair a mess, and none of these guys had won. So all Heenan was looking for was some winners. And in the three years that Rude stayed there, I know he won an Intercontinental Championship one time, but he had more success over in WCW. It's unbelievable. But what a great wrestler. Well-deserved honor for him to be going into the Hall of Fame. You know what, man? We've got... Uh, we, if we're talking about Rick Rude, we're talking about the Hall of Fame, we got to talk about Diamond Dallas Page. I mean, there... It, I hope he's the headliner because there's no question the standing ovation he's going to get for, one, his his body of work, which I thought was excellent. He was a fantastic manager. He got into the game as far as in the ring late in his career where he was in his late 30s where he was saying, hey, I'm going to start. I want to I wanna wrestle. Now, it just so happens he's from Southwest Florida where I'm from, so the Fort Myers area, which is nice. But what he has been able to do with, one, making as much money as he is outside of the business because of his personality, because of his motivation, because of his, his values, as well as resurrecting Amazing. Jake the Snake Roberts, taking care of Scott Hall. I mean, it's DDP is a Hall of Famer in my book, and I'm sure everybody else, which is why he's going to get the respect he deserves this April. Scott, what do you think? Yeah, definitely. Like you said, I mean, he's uh, his body of work speaks for itself. I mean, especially starting out as old as he was. Uh, but just to reinvent himself, like, I mean, a lot of these guys, they achieve such great success that when it stops, I mean, they really, really have trouble adjusting to living real life. And DDP is not one of those guys. Um, not only did he develop a, a new specialized yoga program geared towards uh, beat up old wrestlers, you know, tough guys, uh, guys that wouldn't be caught dead doing yoga. But I mean, he literally saved Jake the Snake Roberts and Scott Hall's lives. I mean, like right now, when you think of those two names, I mean, you think about, OK, they're legends. But I mean, rewind time five years ago when you heard of, you know, when you hear the name Jake the Snake Roberts or Scott Hall, you're thinking, oh, man, the guy's a he's a screw up, man. He's a drunk. He's, he's you know, he's a, a pill popper. I mean, the guy could die any moment i mean he was both of those guys were that close and ddp is solely responsible for not only saving their lives but getting them back in the spotlight well i i would interject real quick here scott and say that it is still possible between now and early january and april when wrestlemania comes around that both of those guys could be clinically dead i, I think that's just fair we saw that there was a recent incident with Scott Hall inside of a Ruby Tuesdays or a TGI Friday inside of an airport. It's very possible that they could both have passed away. Now, let's take nothing away, though, from Diamond Dallas Page. Triple crown champion in WCW. Three reigns as the World Heavyweight Champion. Two reigns as the United States Champion. Four runs with the tag team belts. Only in WWE for a year from 2001 to 2002. And they gave him the European Championship. I didn't even know that there was a European championship. I tell you what, though, if if DDP's not the headliner, who is the headliner for this year's uh, Hall of Fame? China. 
No. No chance. I don't think so. I think it's too soon. The return to Hulkamania? I've, I've noticed He's they've started. No, no, I understand that. But I've noticed they've started dropping his name a little bit more on television, which leads me to believe that he's coming back sooner than later. I got one for you Daniel Bryan. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, he could headline. Interesting. Are you, making a, are you making a prediction here to start off the new year on the False Finish podcast in, in front of the tens of thousands of listeners that are tuned in this week? Are you saying that you anticipate Daniel Bryan will headline? this year's WWE Hall of Fame class. I'm actually willing to make a gentleman's bet, and I would buy dinner for all of you and your embarrassingly awkward coworkers if Daniel Bryan is not the headliner in New Orleans where he won the World Heavyweight Championship for the first time. Uh, there's no question it's going to be him. Well, funny you should bring that up because the WWE has come out and confirmed that New Orleans will host WrestleMania 34 in 2018 and uh and scott i i look ahead and i'm starting to wonder now are we kind of getting into a little bit of a rotation here of the venues that that wwe wants to go to we know that they've had that this will be their second wrestlemania inside of uh, i believe it's called camping world stadium in orlando um i would anticipate tampa is going to be back in the mix Miami certainly, New Orleans again. We'll probably see another trip back to Dallas. I mean, is this kind of the circuit that we're going to see down in the south, or, or do you anticipate that they're going to take this back up to a new Minnesota Vikings stadium uh, or possibly Detroit to Ford Field? What do you anticipate here? It's tough to call. I mean, you're definitely seeing a pattern develop with uh, you know them returning to venues that they like and that they've had success with. Um, but from what I understand, uh, a lot of it had to do with New Orleans placing a real uh, a favorable bid due to it being the 300th anniversary for the city of New Orleans. So they, they kind of want to ingrain uh, the WWE brand in uh, with the New Orleans city and the tradition and the history. So uh, I think that has a certain appeal to Vince as well. PJ3, what did Hulk Hogan call the venue the last time that it was at WrestleMania 30 inside of the Mercedes-Benz Superdome? He called that the Silver Dome, did he not? He did call it the Silver Dome, uh, thinking that he must have been back in uh, in Detroit, in Pontiac, to be exact. Here's my question, Pensy, and I know you're huge in the NCAA and the NFL world. These, uh, when you talk about the national championship games and when you talk about the Super Bowls, these cities are bidding. And what exactly are they bidding? Because it's... I, it's my understanding now that WrestleMania is big enough where pretty much the venue is free. They're not, they're not paying rent for this stadium anymore, as well as maybe certain tax incentives. But what, what exactly is the bid and, and how – tell me how the money works here is what I, what I really want to understand. Well, I can't speak to how it works from a WrestleMania standpoint, but if you're talking about from a bowl standpoint, national championship Super Bowls, uh, any big-time sporting event, what they're looking for is kind of the total overall package. So how many people are you going to potentially bring to town? What type of upgrades could we potentially make to our infrastructure? You never see – WrestleMania is pretty unique where it's a bid out a year in advance. Most of these other big sports events, it's three, four years in advance so that they have time to get the money in. But then there are major improvements that typically take place around the hotels – there might be new restaurants, bars, transportation services that are put in. So the, the cities themselves see this as a huge economic impact. Um, you know, we're here at the Tampa Marriott Waterside here in the hotel lobby bar. You look around, there's still people here from the national championship. There are people 
that will come in and they will stay on a two and three night minimum. They'll spend money to get there. They'll buy merchandise. They'll buy food. They'll buy lots of drinks, even if they don't drink them all. They will uh, they'll buy cans of chewing tobacco. They might play golf. They will do all of these things outside of just going to the event itself. And so it, it then becomes dependent upon well, what type of a financial guarantee can we give to one of these organizations for them to come here and how confident do we feel that we'll be able to make that much money back plus some. So uh, I don't know, Scott, if you have any inside information about if there's any different inner workings with a WrestleMania than there are from other big sporting events, but I would anticipate it's, it's fairly similar. Yeah, no, Petsy, I really agree with the breakdown. You just, uh, I mean, you just pretty much dropped the jewel on our listeners. I mean, they, they would never be able to put two and two together the way you just did. Touche. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, I'm not sure what we would expect. Uh, most of these listeners don't have a middle school education, and they're still trying to figure out how they didn't get a new pair of Fruit of the Loom underwear at Christmas time. But that's all beside the point. Other breaking news that has come out recently, gentlemen. I want you to weigh in on this. Uh, it's been over 10 years since this professional wrestler stepped inside of a WWE ring, but he's telling independent bookies no more, no more dates, because he's coming back to the WWE in April. Pre PJ3, you kind of have a perplexed look on your face. I'm going to give you a second to think about this one for a second. You too, Scott. I, I, I want you to think about this. If, if you're thinking that it's Shelton Benjamin, you're incorrect. So I'll just take that name off the table. Okay. Ten years, huh? Ten years out of the WWE. Not to say he's been out of professional wrestling the entire time, because he hasn't. 2007, Gene Snitsky? <laughs> Gene Snitsky is incorrect. <laughs> Scott Commodity, any guesses? Uh, let's go with Colt Cabana. Also not Colt Cabana. If you had guessed Kurt Angle, you would be correct. Now, my question, though, is... You know, this is stuff that's just kind of floating around in the fodder of, of Internet message boards. How much truth do you believe to this? And if it is a potential April return date, does that mean that we'll potentially see Kurt Angle inside of Camping World Stadium at WrestleMania? Or better yet, does he show up and he's one of those marquee guys on the next night of Raw, which is always the best Raw of the year? Wow. I mean, if he shows up at WrestleMania, I think it's going to be to, to headline the Hall of Fame. I mean, that might have been the answer to the previous question. But uh, I, I also like the idea of, of Angle debuting the following night on Raw. I mean, just imagine that pop inside that, that small enclosed arena with just those uh, the international maniacs in there just blowing the roof off the place to Angle's surprise return. That'd be awesome. You know what? I and I, I mean, there's a lot of speculation going on, and this is what happens on the road to WrestleMania. I mean, we got Royal Rumble this month. Who are going to be the surprise entrants? But there are rumors that uh, there is serious interest WWE has in bringing back the Hardys. And Very Matt interesting. Hardy, Matt Hardy is taking this new character he has uh, to a different level. So is it possible we see some sort of uh, guest entrance? Or, I mean, what is going to happen at the Rumble? I mean, I, let me just ask this. We talked about this week. You have Undertaker comes back and says he's going to be in the Rumble. I mean, are we actually supposed to sit here and believe that, that he's going to win the Royal Rumble? And the fact that he's in it, doesn't that, at least it does for me, raise the game or at least the status of the Rumble? You know what I mean? Just to see, like, wait a minute, what's going to happen here? Because isn't Goldberg in the Rumble? 
He is. Yeah, definitely. I I think it definitely raises the status of the Rumble. I mean, it's it's pretty packed already, and they've I don't even think they've gotten halfway through the participants. I mean, you got Undertaker, you have Bill Goldberg, you have Brock Lesnar. I mean, that right there, I think Seth Rollins and probably some other top guys are already entered. But I mean, that's that's pretty stacked for 2017. But uh, you know, what if this happens? Just uh, theoretically, let's say John Cena uh, winds up becoming the champion between now and WrestleMania, and Undertaker winds up winning the Rumble, and then at WrestleMania you have John Cena. Uh, oh wait, no. See, it'd have to be the other way around. I was going to say because the, the the money would be in John Cena chasing that 16th title to tie Ric Flair. So See, I, I think that's out of the qu- picture. That's my question. So Cena right now is a 15-time world champion, right? Yeah, I think so. He's a 15-time. I'm going to check this. We're just checking it, but it's 16. So is is the money in him matching Ric Flair or beating Ric Flair? I think there's money in both matches, but, I mean, just tying it is a big deal. Well, While you're looking that up, I, I also want to interject that there was another person, another Hall of Famer, who returned to Raw this past week. Shawn Michaels, the Heartbreak Kid, shows up. What's the likelihood, PJ3, that he is somehow involved in the Royal Rumble once again with an untucked referee shirt and a pair of blue jeans trying to uh, trying to be in the ring to, uh, to call the action? We do know that he's down in Orlando right now doing quite a bit uh, at the Academy, correct? I tell you what, there's something I got to say to Shawn Michaels. I know you're listening because I get your emails every once in a while when you're not happy with the the way we report on how you're spending your retirement. But let me say, let me just say one thing to you, sir. Can you just give us one comeback where you walk down that ring in a pair of loafers, some nice khaki navy blue shorts that stop just above your knees, maybe a nice button-down shirt that absolutely comes off oakley sunglasses give us i mean just give us a shade of hbk because i have no idea what your outfits are in these rubber duck hunting boots tucked into wrangler jeans i mean the hbk of old came down and and was smooth and i'm not i mean you are the definition of smooth in the ring i mean you're the master it's just a uh, it's a fan just asking for just one time. I'm only just saying give us one time before I have to leave this earth that old school HBK walks down styling a profile in 1997 style. PJ3, is it possible that when he looks at himself, he sees exactly what you just described because he's cross-eyed? That's absolutely not what happens, but there are that's awful. There are reports though that everybody calls him out on what he's wearing in gorilla. So like Vince will be like, Hey, are you going out in that with like the hat and a hunter's all over him about what he's wearing, but he continues to do it for whatever reason. Like this is just, I understand he's his own man and this is who he is. And he's a grizzly bear now. And he's just hunting like, like crazy. But Sean, let me help you out. There's no like wild bison inside uh, Madison Square Garden. You're gonna you you can you can just for a little bit just work with this here. Maybe an old school raw. We get a 1997 HBK to come on down. You know, it's only too bad, Scott Commodity, that we didn't ask Marty Janetti about 
Shawn Michaels' wardrobe in the here and now when we last spoke with him? (laughs) Because I would assume right now, Gennetti's whereabouts are unknown. So we had an opportunity and we missed it. And we'll own that. But but I think that it's a very valuable point that PJ3 is making today. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, nobody hits a home run every time up to the plate, man. I mean, with all the great questions we, that we came up with for Marty Gennetti, I mean, but then again, his wardrobe is kind of uh, eh, on the questionable side as well. But uh, that's neither here nor there. I mean, they are the best babyface tag team of all time, period. I tell you what, I want to go on record right now, and I know we're just throwing some stuff out, but something to wrestle with with uh, Bruce Pritchard and Conrad it's amazing it really really is amazing and I am 34 years old I've got 30 solid years where I can remember being four watching this this business um, it's it's one of the greatest most entertaining the fact that they can go four hours and three hours just talking about Mr. Perfect. I love the fact that it's not just like, or let's do Hogan or the main guys. No, let's do Rick Rude. Let's do DiBiase. Let's talk about DiBiase's manservant. I literally drove from Port Charlotte, Florida to St. Petersburg, and the whole conversation on the podcast was Pritchard talking about DiBiase's manservant, Virgil. And all the wonderful little little stories. It's a great, great podcast. I'm glad that they do it. And I just, I mean, I know we, we probably have, I think they're at a quarter million listeners and we're close too, but just to give them some props, give them some major props. Uh, Scott, want to get your take on this one. Uh, TNA Wrestling, at least the, the brand that was owned by Dixie Carter is no more. Anthem Sports officially announced that they have acquired Impact Wrestling. Billy is she Cor- out? Billy Cor- yep, hold on. Billy Corrigan's lawsuit is gone. Dixie Carter, as announced by Anthem after the purchase, she resigned from her position as chairman of Impact Ventures and will now be taking a seat on Fight Network's advisory board. So what that means to you, Marks, is she's gone, okay? She may still retain a minority equity stake in the company, but she is gone. And who comes in to replace her? None other then J E double F J A double R E double T rejoining TNA Wrestling, a company that he helped co-found. So I ask you, Scott Commodity, good or bad for the overall business of professional wrestling? I think overall it's really, really good news for TNA. Uh, just to have Dixie out of that position. I mean, she she had no vision for the business. And she was just a mark, man. I mean, she I have no idea how she kept the company alive this long. But uh, here we are. We got a brand new financial backer. You have a brand new creative outlook uh, seeming to be fueled by Matt Hardy and uh, Jeremy Borash, which, which, you know, I mean, it's not like your classic 1980s NWA Ric Flair versus Ricky Steamboat or Dusty Rhodes versus Tully Blanchard type wrestling. But it's really freaking entertaining i mean it's 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 really fun to watch these hardy compound matches and uh all the the segments the edited segments filmed cinematically with drones at matt hardy's house i mean it's it's really unique stuff it's innovative and it's fun to watch and if they do make the jump back to wwe i really hope that vince kind of lets them uh have a little bit of slack to do their own thing 
Well, I know one of the things that I heard that backstage in a creative role or a creative writing role is Dutch Mantel. So we do have to give, and I've always tried to wrap my head around, you know, Jeff Jarrett and his his vision for the business. He did take TNA from nothing to, I would say, its peak is that they um, they had that Monday Night Live with Hogan. And I would believe that Jeff Jarrett got him all the way to that point. Now, I know Eric Bischoff was there before and, and whatnot, but I believe Jeff Jarrett's direction got him to at least that point, which I would say was the peak of TNA, where we had this glimmer of, hey, wait a minute, are they going to be able to compete? I mean, hell, Scott, we even decided to start sending them stuff to try to get signed because we thought they were, they were going to make a, a legit run at, uh, at, a, at a number two company. But Dutch Mantel has a long, long history in this business. I mean, starting in like 1972. And he was the guy, if you recall, all of the Stone Cold Steve Austin stories where Steve Austin's first match comes back through. The booker on that match, on that show, was Dutch Mantell, who said, grab a chair, sit, and watch watch the rest of the matches to start learning this business. So Dutch Mantel taught Steve Austin this business. Now he's apparently behind the scenes at TNA. That can only be a good thing. What, uh, what if anything, will TNA be able to do in the short term? And, and, and I also want to know, over the course of your career, I know you said you sent some stuff in. Did you guys ever come across Jarrett? Was there ever a time where, where you guys bumped into him, wrestled at the same place, had any interactions with him? Yeah, actually, uh, there, w- there was a period of time when um, I know myself and uh, Ryan O'Reilly, who's now known as uh, Connor of the Ascension, we took a couple trips up, uh, I want to say maybe three, four weeks in a row up to Orlando um, at Universal Studios to do, do job matches at TNA. And uh, Ryan actually wound up wrestling Jeff Jarrett in a squash match, which was kind of funny because Jarrett was the champion at the time. And, you know, he's got decent size, but I don't think he's, you know, all that tall of a dude. And then you have Ryan at the time, who's like a shoot 6'5", maybe 275 pounds, just jacked out of his mind. And the way Jeff Jarrett, the veteran, called this match was just to totally just wash Ryan, man. Just jobbing him out like he was a buck 85. I mean, he, I, don't get me wrong. I have seen phenomenal Jeff Jarrett matches versus Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Championship back in the day. I've seen his old stuff, and I respect his work. But his stuff in TNA when he had the ball and he uh, he had the book, I guess I could say, I, I feel like he was somewhat selfish with the way he was booked and the way he called matches because I don't agree with the way he uh, set up that match with Ryan. I mean, he... You know, he could have milked it for more than what it was just by playing up the fact that he's beating a guy almost twice his size. But uh, he was always a nice guy. Speaking of nice guys, it's, uh, it's tough to get this one out as we're at the Tampa Marriott Waterside Hotel bar. But I uh, have to break this news. Timothy Smith best known to longtime WWE and WWF fans as Timothy Well, one half of the short-lived tag team Well Done, has passed away at the age of 55 following complications from kidney failure. Well made his pro debut in 1987 and spent most of his career wrestling under the name Rex King, often as a tag team with Steve Dahl. 
King and Dahl were known in several promotions as the Southern Rockers before going to WWF in 1993 when they were repackaged as Timothy Well and Steve Dunn. Well Dunn was managed for a very, and I mean very short time, by the illustrious manager Harvey Whippleman and had a feud against the Bushwhackers that was involved ring announcer Howard Finkel. Well Dunn left the company in 1995, returned to the Indies where they continued to wrestle as a tag team and singles. In 2000, Smith won the World Wrestling Council Puerto Rico Heavyweight Championship in Carlos Colon's WWC, where he was also a three-time television champion and a five-time world tag team champion. He also captured the USWA World Tag Team Championship five times in his career, four of those reigns coming with Dahl. This business takes no prisoners, gentlemen. Tell you what, it's a shame. It's a real shame. He lived it. I respect him. He did it. My hat's off. Much respect to him and his family. Let's not close, though, on such a somber note. Because as we were just sitting down here at the bar, ordering up a, a, couple, of, a couple of drinks from the, the waitress, the bartender back there, PJ3 looked over and he said, Pensy, I want you to ask Scott Commodity about what is potentially being called the greatest wrestling match of all time that has recently taken place in Japan. Scott, number one, have you seen the match? Number two, who was involved and did it live up to all of the hype that it's receiving? Uh, number one, yes, I did see the match. Uh, I, I read just like you guys did on the internet that it was a phenomenal main event. Uh, of Wrestle Kingdom 11, which is very, very unique that a gaijin, which is another term for non-Japanese wrestler, uh, main events their WrestleMania, which is also known as Wrestle Kingdom. And the last person to do that uh, prior to this year being Kenny Omega was, I believe, Brock Lesnar in either 2004 or 2006. And we all know what Brock's uh, capabilities are. He main evented WWE won NCAA championships, and became a UFC heavyweight champion. So, I mean, the guy's just a freak. Before that, I don't know who did it, if anybody else. So this was a special match before it even started. Um, Dave Meltzer re uh, reviewed it. was the, his first ever, first and only six-star match that he uh, he's ever rated. He's done a couple five-plus, one of them being Ricky Steamboat and Ric Flair, uh, a handful of other matches, but this is the first one he's actually said. This is six stars and the very best professional wrestling match he's ever seen in his entire life. And we, we know Dave Meltzer, he's seen every match, including uh, all of Preston and mine as well. Uh, but the match itself, it did live up to the expectations. You know, I, I went into it thinking there's no way that, uh, that this can hold a candle to uh, Ric Flair and Ricky Steamboat or even shake a stick at the Brainbusters versus the Rockers. But, you know, I, I got to admit, man, I've watched this match. It's 45 minutes long, and I've watched it three times already because I, I, I didn't know if I was just caught up in the moment at first or, you know, maybe I could just go through and critique it even more and break it down, something I might have missed the first time or the second time. But this match, it, it did live up to the expectations, and I don't know if it's the best match I've ever seen in my entire life. But what I do know is it is an incredible match that everybody needs to sit down and take the time, take the hour to watch. I tell you what, let me just give you uh, listeners 
a comparison. Marks. Now, everybody's got an idea of what they believe about Dave Meltzer or what they don't believe about Dave Meltzer, nor here or there. He is a credible source journalist in the world of professional wrestling. I think that's undeniable because he's been doing it so long. He gives this match six-plus stars. These are some of his five-star matches that you guys may uh, recognize. WrestleMania 13, Bret Hart and Steve Austin. That was a five-star match. SummerSlam 94, Bret Hart, Owen Hart. The latter match, Razor and Shawn at WrestleMania 10. That was a five-star match. Uh, let's take a look here. How about uh, just going through here? Because I know we're all WWE marks on this show. Uh, da, 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 da. I'm trying to see where he put Sean Taker 1. That WrestleMania 25. Which it doesn't look like has even been his list. So he has no credibility in my eyes. I take back everything I said. That's the... I, I gotta, I gotta. I'm gonna watch this match and just and see how good it is. But to me, the greatest match of all time is well, he's got five stars. NWA Ric Flair Steamboat, which is amazing. Uh, this is a good list that we need. To, we need to go over this list in more detail, Pensy. Just so you know, I, I'll take, I'll take that. How about next week we spend some time on this list? We go through this. We see if we can even agree or disagree with some of these. And maybe it's even do we find any that should be on this list that aren't. I think that's a great idea. It has been an epic opportunity to be at the Tampa Marriott Waterside Hotel. You've tuned into the world-famous False Finish Podcast once again, expecting nothing short of dynamic professional wrestling talk, and that's what we've given you. This is not like an opportunity where some cheap salesman walks into a bar and meets a, an attorney, potentially one that practices in, uh, I don't know, let's say franchises. Can't seal the deal. This is not that type of show. This show is for people who understand the business. This is from three people, that two of which have gotten inside of that squared circle, and the other one who took some chops this past weekend. This is Preston James III, Scott Commodity, and I'm your host, Ryan Pincy. Damn it. Happy New Year to you. It's the road to WrestleMania. We're on it. It ends in Orlando, Florida. For the next few weeks, we'll be gearing you up for the Royal Rumble, getting you ready for everything that is there. And I would say for what a lot of people think is one of the more exciting pay-per-views of the year. Rumble always seems to deliver a few twists and turns, and I wouldn't expect anything short of that this year. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Vince has up his sleeves. And uh, I think it's probably time for us to uh, call the bartender and waitress back over and order up another drink while we're still here at the Tampa Marriott Waterside. Hey, Carmen, can we get that drink, Carmen? For Preston James III, Scott Commodity, I'm Ryan Pincy. We'll talk to you next time.